Welcome to Texas Style Coworking. The ranch office is a neighborhood community office that delivers a warm atmosphere with a heavy dose of Southern hospitality. Located in Memorial, Katy, and Baytown, we offer private offices, conference rooms, event space, and much more. Come change things up and check us out. Remember, life is better at the ranch. Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. Brent Kudzerski has just joined me. He is the chief industrial strategist from Hexagon. Brent, welcome to the ESG Energize show. And tell me, what is your role at Hexagon beyond just chief industrial strategist? Uh, thank you. And, and who is Hexagon? What does Hexagon do? Well, sounds very techy. It is very, very techy, but that's the thing that we're working to amplify. So, you know, these organizations, whether it be Hexagon or Aviva or Honeywell, they've lived in a world of um, automation. Yep. So in the you know late 20th century, we really started to have the ability to apply technology. Okay. Now in 2011, we entered the fourth industrial revolution. So we've been in it to about a decade. And it was all about cyber physical connectivity. Very techy stuff. So Very. sensors and drones, there were nine pillars of you know industrial automation. And the whole idea was to have um, data connection. And then it became digital connection because you could connect different pieces of equipment or information sources, blockchain data and drones and sensors and process operations to help you understand what your process did. And then years later, that enabled process optimization. So once you optimize your entire process, then you could actually advance automated. So the whole idea of now you could apply more artificial intelligence and smarter decision making to lead to what the goal of Industry 4 is, which is the smart factory, the lights out, the no windows factory that was really led by people. And that's a whole nother discussion we can talk about another time, whether, you know, how do people and humans and uh, groups work with machines and work with each other given these new technologies. So a lot of people are worried about that. I think it's a better day coming for humans in terms of work. And that goes back to your original question. So why am I at Hexagon? So Hexagon has a lot of technologies. But what we find in the world of work with technology, there's a law of accelerative rate of technology where technology accelerates faster and like a snowball down a hill. And it it accelerates faster than the actually humans can grasp it or society can adjust to it. So what happens is a big lag between humans and technology. And that's been apparent in the last decade of everybody trying to do this digital transformation. So the humans have felt like um, they're backseat. And actually, uh, there was a study done by um, oh, Corn Ferry and 800 CEOs of global multinational companies basically put technology 
in advance of humans as far as accelerating industry. So they placed more value on the role that technology is going to have than people. So that creates a big imbalance. So what I am passionate about at Hexagon is humans at work. How do we put the human back into work and get back on track? Because we're losing ground fast. Um, and what I'll tell you is there's a growing gaps in expectations that people have, especially our younger folks, our Gen, um, Gen Zs and our alphas that are coming up into the uh, route. So as far as research goes, when they interviewed CEOs and workers, there was a gap in performance expectations and feedback. So okay. business leaders, CEOs think they give great feedback, think they make very clear expectations. The employees don't agree with that. They think they get lousy <laughs> feedback and ambiguous expectations. Um, and far as like in companies providing people with the right tools and information, employers think that they do a great job. Employees think they lack the appropriate resources to be as effective as they could be. Um, as far as individual incentives around work, now this is the biggest one in terms of my, my thinking. It's called the anatomy of work. So how frustrating is your workflow? How much data do you have that's inaccurate, hard to find, hard to get? Um, all these things that frustrate a person at work. Um, that's the anatomy of work. Can I go get something? What's the design of the work? Okay. How's my okay. job related? And in this anatomy, um, employers think they do a great job of designing work and jobs and their organization structures. Employees think they make work really difficult for them. And it's unnecessary, unnecessary decisions, unnecessary bureaucracy, you know, over an analysis, all kinds of things like this. Um, and then the bigger things for the younger folks are uh, the more individualized factors, which are things like um, learning. So they really want to learn, not for what the company necessarily wants them to learn, because the old day was, you need to know this and be competent and certified in this for us, and you, we expect you to do it, we pay you to do that. Yep. Well, the employee wants to be employable. They want to learn and grow from a whole, what I call whole person competence perspective. That means not just their skills and knowledge for the company, but what makes them a better contributing human being. So how do they get inspired, motivated? What are their traits that they're working to develop and grow and build and strengthen? Um, what is the social role that they're playing in within the social setting of the organization um, in their self-image? So it's much more sophisticated from an individual learning perspective today than it's ever been before. Companies don't yet appreciate that. Um, and the last two things are capacity. So human beings, especially the Gen Zers, want to know, how can you help augment my capacity? And how can we use these new tools, AI and automation, to help me perform better, help, help me make more interesting uh, and analytical decisions with data and analytics? How can you help me um, you know, be more collaborative with my coworkers through social networking tools and other, you know, information tools. And the last thing, and again, the most important thing for the Gen Zers is motivation. They want meaningful work. And I'll tell you the other thing that I hear from the younger folks today is they want to have meaningful, purposeful work that they feel great about doing as they learn and grow and they're getting ready for, you know, a more broader, wider, you know, deeper um, sense of themselves, but they also want to make enough money to live. 
And I think what a lot of them are finding today, they're really scrapping again because they're not living to the standard that their parents did at their age. Um, a lot of them just don't make, you know, starting salary monies just don't let them afford to live and, you know, when uh, eggs are $12 a dozen or bread $7 a bag, you know, so that's the kind of thing. So I'll pause there. I don't know if you have any questions after a lot of that talking. Um, and then I want to get into kind of, okay, how do we fix it? What are the humans at work kind of dimensions that we talk about? So it's not a matter of, of, of having questions. And I don't have a lot of a lot of questions. I'm following you very clearly. That we definitely have a disconnect. That we talk about at nauseum now is that there's this disconnect between the younger generations wanting to have a different sort of professional experience than you know people like myself, the baby boomers had, and there's there's this gap, right? And so the question that I have for you, the one big question is in in your studies. You've clearly, you're clearly somebody that, that has studied this, that has pondered this, that uh, takes your, your job uh, to mean something broader than just the words on a piece of paper. That how do you, in your wisdom, it, what are you saying, especially from the perspective of an organization like Hexagon, how do you resolve those discrepan that discrepancy that exists between what the younger professional wants out of, out, of, out of their job, out of their career, what the employer provides, and how does a company like Hexagon, that is a provider of technical solutions, actually deliver um, a, new, a, a new paradigm within mm. which everybody is going to not just coexist, but thrive right. together? This is the great paradox of digital transformation. So if you look at it, again, 10 years we've been in it, and we've been inundated with proof of concepts and paralysis of pilots. So we've done what I call point solutions, yep. okay? Point, yep. of, you know, point of choice solutions. And in the companies that I work with, they are kind of siloed and, and disjointed because they don't have a chief connection officer. They don't have one person that's charged globally. Like I always say there should be a, you know, chief connected worker officer or chief and connection officer or, you know, there's these new roles that haven't emerged but they, they obviously need to. And what I see in companies is because they're siloed, you might have a person in learning that wants to have some procedures done, or you might have somebody in operations that wants to have some kind of um, you know, other automation tool or, or analytics device. And what's going on is because the organizations themselves are siloed, when the salespeople try to go into the organization, they pound on the door, but they can't go to somebody that holistically oversees the entire organization ecosystem. And so that salesperson is challenged to sell a single point solution because it's easy for them to sell because there's nobody, there's only one or two people in the organization who want to buy it or yeah. can. Yeah. So you have this almost codependent relationship where there's no integrator in these organizations. And so while these companies are evolving, like Hexagon's evolving to have an end-to-end, -end fully integrated, connected worker ecosystem, and they're evolving, they continue to evolve, they can't put them in place because organizations aren't ready to kind of put an umbrella over it, a big tent and say, fix everything at once and make it one integrated system. And what's happening is because of this fragmentation, companies are overspending in terms of IT dollars because there, there's so much redundancy in the IT space. Yep. There's so much redundancy in the human space because they 
you know, it's just like the whole shared services bit. You know, when a company has nine finance people and you go to shared services, you might have three. It's the same way they got to think about digital transformation. Quit having, you know, 17 interdepartment teams that do digital transformation and have <laughs> one corporate enterprise capability center. And there's a big thing, the um, Lighthouse Organizations. It's, it's a, 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 a group that was started in 2019 by um, the World Economic Forum and McKinsey. And they look at what companies are the tip of the sword in terms of Industry 4.0, not only use case design and implementation, and, and when it started in 2019, I think there were uh, like, uh, 13 companies in it. Now it's grown to about 140, 138. And what these companies are showing us, they're leading the way in terms of, you know, Industry 4. And a lot of companies should be looking toward them as the best practice on a, the Malcolm Baldrich approach to, to Industry 4. And what these companies are showing is two things. The successful companies are making it a human-centric approach to digital transformation industry for, you know, they're focusing on the human element and they're having some kind of centralized transformation office where they're focused on uh, transformation from a centralized strategic point of view. Almost like the strategic program office that was um, really um, coming into fruition in the 1990s. So anyways, with that said, so now we've set the stage where I'll close it with the, the idea that humans are I guess, um, really inclined to make the hard choice of tomorrow um, and exchange that for the easier choice today. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, if we can say, well, you know, do, you know, I always had said and when I was at Shell that, you know, nothing good is ever easy, nothing easy is ever good. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's hard work. It but is. today, because of job insecurity, people are afraid to kind of stick out their neck. You know, we went through this whole cycle, uh, you know, in the last 10 years about, oh, you know, fail fast and fail, fail safe and, yeah. you know, yeah. psychological safety. Well, I don't think people are they don't feel psychologically safe still. You know, they feel because of the job market and everything else that if they really are authentic and stick their neck out and take a risk, they could be exposed. So until we drive out that fear, we're not gonna have the innovation because we're not. Things are getting much more complex and complicated, right? So, you know, one is about technology, but one is about implementation. So complexity, uh, you know, comp, com, you know um, complexity can be technology and complex can be how do you, heck do you navigate it in the organization? Um, so again, I want, I want to pull back and I'm going to redirect us to like, okay, so we got humans at work. So we've talked about all of this clutter that we've got, lots of, you know, bags and, you know, electrical cords on the floor that we can trip over. If we look at the Industrial Revolution in the last hundred years, now it's been going on since 1750, so I mean we're nearing or 300 years of modern industrial age. But if you look at the hundred years between 1920 and 2020, 21, we've gone through four errors, um, or really five. We've gone through kind of the utility error, 
were people, were tools. Just like a shovel, just like a wrench, the person was considered the same thing. Um, I'm only paying you from the neck down. Right, right. Don't, don't, I don't want to hear your opinion. You if know, I you, want your opinion, I'll give it to you. That's right. Um, and then they went to the uh, productivity era where you, know, you got the old time clocks out and the, and the punch cards will punch you in, punch you out. Yep. And in between, we're going to hold a stopwatch behind your neck to see yep. how fast you can spit stuff out. And I actually, in my early career, I did time studies. And, I, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, the biggest learning I had out of there, when I would give the director the results, they would want me to change it. Say, oh, they can do it faster than that. I said, I just spent five days statistically proving that they can't, and you want me to tell you they can, you know. And that was a that was a crazy stuff. I'll never forget that one. Um, but that was so everything was time bound. People were yep. they were just punching in and punching out. Um, then you went to this era in the late 20th century called engagement. So you had things like participative management, quality circles, where we were saying, okay, we want you involved, this whole era of TQM and getting the yeah. employees' ideas on the table. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, the early 21st century where we said, you know, hold on a minute. You know, it's not just interesting to, like, engage people and get their ideas, but it's more about the ecosystem that they work in. What's the experience that they have? So, I mean, this is the big thing that we're in now because the entire world is in what we call a conceptual age. It's a higher touch, higher concept solutions. So, like, for example, your glasses, your eyeglasses aren't just glasses, but they're bifocals and they're sunglasses and they might even have lights yeah. on them. So multiple purposes of the, of the one tool. Um, but... So we go. So we get into this, and then this means that we have to understand. And come, how many CEOs do you think they think about their employees in terms of, okay, the experience cycle of a human? So, what were the expectations of a worker when they come in the door in the morning and they start their job? Are they happy about it? Do they think they're going to have a lousy day? Are they looking forward to it? They think, oh, here I go again. Here's the problems. I got to start my work task, and you know, Jim's not going to be there. He's going to be late, and you know, the manager's not going to give me my directions, and all this is going to happen. And then they have the experience, and that's that anatomy of work that I talked about. Yep. Oh, can't find yep. my data. Can't find my info. And in that moment, they process, and that's where they have their. They form their perceptions, their attitudes, and their memories. And so that means they're going to go home that night, and there's no systems today in most organizations to reflect on the work. That's done in the gripe sessions. That's done yeah. at the water cooler. Yeah. That's done when they go home and they're cranky with their dog and their family. They had a lousy day at work, and it never gets usefully, positively involved. I love the idea of having the apps that, you know, once a person's done for the day, it might ask them like five questions. How was your day? Did you have everything you need? Did you did you get along with coworkers great? With the manager good? Five questions takes, you know, six seconds to answer and you get two bucks, you know, or something like that. And every employee's going to do it, you know, um, and it goes in their little bank. Um, so, but then what happens in this cycle, they, they wait for the next time the task comes around and they're going to anticipate and plan. And that's where they form their motives that we talked about before. Yep. It's such, yep. so important to these Gen uh, XYZers um, that they're going to say, oh, you know, shucks. I almost said another word, but okay, <laughs> shucks. Um, it's okay, I have editors. Oh, good. Um, you know, they're going to say, I don't want to do it. 
it's, that works adverse to me. It's punishing. If I do a good job, they're going to give me more. While Joe and Sam, because they don't do a great job, I'm going to have to pick up their slack and all the things that go into that anatomy of work. So this is what companies need to understand. This is why they need to have chief experience officers. You know, this, this thing about like, you know, I look at things like not like job design. I used to do job design years ago. Um, well, we just don't do it that well. And if you think about a human being, and I study a lot on the human condition. And humans are, there's only four things about humans. It's, I can break it down as simple as that. Now other people might say, well, you got Maslow, you got all this stuff. No, there's four people, four no, things. No, nobody invited them. We're talking to you today. Yeah. People, the number one rule about humans is they're all fallible. Yep. But the good news is they're all adaptable. Okay, so they can learn, they can grow, they can adjust, and, and that's what they want to do. They're, humans are built to evolve. Um, and that's why I always say, you know, as technology evolves, people need to evolve. And we haven't really evolved human decision-making or collaboration or creativity or cognition um, at the rate that technology has evolved. Um, the other thing is humans are social beings. They want mirrors that hold a reflection of who they are within the context of their social role and the organization or their self-image. And they want that social peace. And they want it to help them grow and be, you know, kind of, um, you know, measured and, and, and basically evaluated and judged so they can get good feedback. And the last thing is they seek meaning and purpose. And that's what we want. And we talk to, like, if I talk to my son, for example, you know, what's the most important thing for him at his job? It's purpose. It's meaning. Yeah. Am I doing something that I feel is my life's work? It's, it's, it's helping me to become or to grow my life's work. Um, you know, so again, it's, it's, it's game day. I mean, and this is what we want companies to help, um, you know, their CEOs understand. Well, I don't think that we've, we're necessarily different today in wanting to have that meaning. I think that, you know, even us baby boomers that grew up in an era where, you know, it, it was, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you and I'm paying you for the neck, from the neck down. We would go to work, we would show up at work, and we would, we would do whatever we had to do what we were supposed to do. And we did not have a space that allowed us to have that other fleeting thought, which is a fleeting thought of wanting to have, to be significant, right? To be significant in our, in our work. And everything was about being successful and somebody else defined for you what success was. And then not till we're later, we're, we're older and have more control that we move from going from success to significance and that's important. I think that what's different today is that these younger generations have a voice. Mm -hmm. They've demanded the the opportunity. They require the opportunity to be able to have a voice and to speak their minds. And they will speak up. Whereas my generation, you just kept your mouth shut, you kept your head down and you did what you, you were gonna do. So they're they're being more vocal, mm -hmm. they're speaking up, and as you're we're seeing in the workplace, in the in the the work uh, in the environment, mm. not just a workplace, but in the environment across the board, there are young people that are basically saying, I'm not going to be bound and shackled within this job. I mm. want more freedom. I want to be recognized. I want to be significant. Mm. And they're, they're making those demands. And if the business leaders 
are not, if there is no chief connection officer or chief experience officer, mm -hmm. uh, those titles that you've thrown out there, that are paying attention to what these younger generations want, they're going to lose mm -hmm. in the battle for the best young talent. Right. And I, what you said is, is spot on, and I want to share some information, anecdotal information, again from, from Shell even, and I'll, I'll use that. I remember a few years ago when I was at Shell, um, I was in an auditorium with a bunch of young, new geologists, and one of the heads of the uh, discipline was up there talking, and I couldn't believe that every these geologists were young kids were standing up a year out of A&M or, you know, Texas, and saying, I don't, I don't agree with this, I think we should be doing this, or I think it was like popcorn, and the next one would say, no, I think we should be doing this, and, you know, why aren't we doing this as a company, and what we should be doing this, and I was just talking to a colleague um, earlier today, and, you know, when the new Shell CEO took over uh, last year, um, a lot of the young people that made the press that they were saying I think this is the wrong direction he's taken us in the company uh, we should be going greener faster and you would have never said that like you never said. never, never. You, you would have you would have thought you would have been, been sent to the guillotine you wouldn't even have whispered it to your right. coworker. so so this is what's happening and think about this I mean I envision a world of work that isn't dull, dirty, dangerous, and drudgery, right? And difficult, you know, it's, it's hard. If you look at like the human experience model, and I call it the human performance um, debt gap, okay? It's a- Debt it's gap, debt okay. Debt gap. How much does the company owe the employee because they create okay. an experience gap. Okay, okay. Okay, so, you know, how happy or unhappy, you know, it's beyond a satisfaction survey. So if you look at your work and you were to judge all your jobs, okay, on level one, was it functional? Could you actually do the job? Was it reliable? Could, you know, every time you went in to do the, your job task, was it consistently you were able to, or, oh, shit, this time it didn't work, or that time? Was it usable all the time? Was it, you know, pretty smooth and, you know, kind of non-problematic? And then at the top, was it delightful? How many people, if you surveyed them and say, is your job and the work each day you do and how you are set up to perform delightful? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that word for, uh, for, for, my own, for my own edification. Right. I would not say just delightful. I would say, was it joyful? Mm-hmm. Do you find, do you walk into the workplace? Because I have, been, I have been very blessed to be in environments where you walk through the doors and you feel the joy. Mm -hmm. And people experience the joy. Right. So, and joy for me is actually at the heart of high-performing teams. Mm -hmm. And so, delightful, I like that word. But I'm going to argue with you, and I'm going to say it's joy. I think that's good, and I think everybody should assign what their vision of the, right, the, the word that, the, that makes sense for right. them. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, it's this thing. I think in the if you take a, a career, there's a hundred thousand hours in a career, and just like I like to break up my life and say, well, what percent of my life do I want to spend sleeping versus exercising versus walking my dog versus, you know, if you think about that, and what people do at work is really like you know, a few things. They perform tasks, they troubleshoot problems in doing the task, and they make decisions and all that. And then they interact with others, and they're actually learning stuff and processing stuff. Um, and, and that's really what they do. I mean, it's kind of do it, troubleshoot it, document it, move on to the next thing. 
And if you think about, well, what you're doing, like how much time are you in unproductive meetings? And I mean, there's so much data on the anatomy of work on like, you know, we spend hundreds of hours a year in unproductive meetings or unnecessary meetings. How much time do you spend, you know, um, reading things or getting information that is adding no value or you read it but in 19 hours with the forgetting curve you've forgotten it so why did you even do it? So it's all these things that aren't adding density of value what I say. You know, I want a life full of dense you know, significant emotional and intellectual experiences. And that's what I really want to get to. But again, companies need to look at making this experience that they need to close that gap and they need to make it joyful and they need to make sure that that 100,000 hours or, the, or whatever they have with an employee, 10,000 hours, and I'm sure you can reflect at some companies say, I wish I would have had that 10,000 hours that I gave to that company back or I could have used that 10,000 hours. And this is the thing, these Gen Zers, they know that life is finite now. Yeah. I mean, there's a real sense of mortality today that people are saying, you know, life is short. we got enough historical evidence that everybody dies, and it's, <laughs> and it's going to come true for you, too. So, you know, we've, we, we, we've spent thousands of years trying to disprove the fact, but I think everybody's kind of now accepted it. And because they've accepted it, they're saying it's finite. And I don't want to have, you know, dull times. I don't want to have stuff that the you know, isn't growing me, isn't, isn't, isn't making me have a good experience. And that's what the 21st century is all about. It's the, it's the, um, the experience movement. It's, it's the, you know, personalization movement. It's, you know, how do you, how do you make the hours in your day more joyful? Yes. And the more joyful they are, the more, the harder you're going to work because you're well, getting you're getting the return and again one of the, my biggest things is what i call flow right it's the whole idea of getting into your work and getting lost into it and the way i structure my work now is i work only when i'm highly motivated because a lot of the work i do is very strategic and i have to kind of be in the mood to do it but what i find is i might start it at seven o'clock at night and i'll have a football game or something on in the background and i'm doing my work and the next thing i know it's one o'clock in the morning yeah and because i love it i'm flowing now you set me down at eight o'clock and you tell me I got to sit in the chair until three I'm not going to be that happy right <laughs> you know because the best beach time is around you know uh, one one to three in the afternoon you know yeah yeah so okay Brent um, bring it full circle for us hexagon what is your big message since we are we are, are running out of time What's your message to my audience? So Hexagon has a lot of solutions, right? I mean, they've got solutions around providing people with information, with analytics, all kinds of things. But what the companies like Hexagon have to do, and Hexagon's trying hard to do this, say, how do all these products that are kind of, a lot of people view that as very complex, and how do they connect? And how do they improve that human anatomy of work? How do they help the humans have a better, less frustrating work experience? How do they also help the humans grow? So, you know, if, if somebody's using or learning how to use a hexagon solution, right, they're going to start to be, you know, dealing with analytics or maybe AI, and yep. they're going to be growing that new skill set. And my skill set of the future is these, these power skills 
are in terms of higher level cognitive skills. So people have to learn a new way of higher level problem solving, troubleshooting, and decision making. Because the world of work is more complex, there's more data available, there's more, there's more um, holistic observations from you know, different process systems and tools in the Hexagon portfolio. So instead of saying, like, I only have three pieces of data to work with, well now with Hexagon and other products, you might have 12 that you never could see the whole process end to end before, but now you can. But we have to teach people the value for them to be employable, to actually be able to say in a resume, hey, I used to be able to make, you know, super cognitive problem-solving decisions, and I used to come in, I used to have 16 different sources of data, and they were, they were laddered this way, and I used to use these kind of analytics, and I could put them together. That's the one thing. The next thing they have to do is be in a more creative mode. So we had this whole era of innovation, and that's great, but innovation at the time, you know, with the whole innovator's uh, dilemma and the DNA of innovation, um, that was one, it was a flat level, that was more about using human brain power to innovate. Well now we're going into this new era where you're going to be co-botting with technologies to innovate. So you're going to be able to go to ChatGBT or something and, you know, get more perspectives and dynamics, or you're going to be able to triangulate data and multiple systems. Um, and then the third area is, you know, collaborative. Um, again, when you know when we were working in our early careers organizations were silent you never knew what the heck another department That's was right. doing and you know it's the same thing like I, when, at shell we you know we had a great solution we did shift handover and we started to digitize those before you know shift operator would come in uh, to shift change and have a couple pieces of paper all scattered over the place and talk to the old crew to the new crew and say what happened overnight and what would you do different well now that they're digitized one process unit can pull up and look at another process unit. Right. Or a hydrocracker unit at, say, Deer Park can pull up the, um, the you know, the hydrocracker unit at another site, say, Scottford or somewhere else, and they can learn from every hydrocracker across Shell's portfolio instead of just have a, a you know, myopic view of their own, um, own, own situation. Yep. I love it. Yep. I love it. Well, Brent. Yes. S certainly has been a pleasure and to have pleasure. you on the show. Uh, can we put in the show notes a, a link to, let's say, hexagon.com? Do you guys have a website that oh, we yeah. can? Oh, yeah. I think that would be great uh, okay. to do and help people to see that. And I, I know that, you know, I've been working with uh, a marketing department, and they're a great group. Um, to try to, like, you know, put together a visual that simplifies it. You know, it's always that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always just simplifying. And, it's, you know, the old story, you know, I apologize for the length of this article or this the paper. I didn't have enough time to make it short. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but I think that the value, as we see here on these podcasts, is that it's in the discussion. The value is in the discussion. Right. And I, and I appreciate and recognize, you know, look, you know, I'm, Hexagon wants me to be involved because they have an appreciation for, or, you know what the connected worker is and they know that their products have to come from a point of human-centered design and they're trying to put human-centered design principles embedded into their products and again that's another thing that we can go on a whole other show about is just the lack of human-centered design principles being applied in these new technologies well maybe we'll have to have you come back on maybe so Brent thank you so much for joining us thank you Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. 
To learn more, go to OGGN.com.